0: This is Books of Titans, the podcast dedicated to the influences of influencers. The books that have helped shape prominent inventors, business leaders, athletes, intellectuals, scientists, and others. We'll talk about what makes these books such classics and at least attempt to have an intelligent discussion about what makes them so important and influential. Hello, this is Eric Rostad coming to you right outside of Nashville, Tennessee. Today, I'm going to cover Touching the Rock by John M. Hull. An Experience of Blindness. This was book 41 out of 52 from my 2017 reading list. This episode will consist of three segments. The first will be a brief introduction to the book, why I read it and my initial reaction. Second segment, uh, the first part of it I'm going to cover some things I learned about blindness. And then in the second part of seg- the second segment I will cover three ideas that that popped out throughout this book. And not only that, there, there are three ideas that I've seen in a number of the books I've read for this Books of Titans project. So I always consider ideas that uh, go across a wide variety of types of books and and styles of books and, and authors from different time periods. When I, when I see those common themes in, in a number of books, uh, I know they're really important. So I'm gonna cover a couple of those that, that, were, that were in uh, t- Touching the Rock. And then the third segment will be the one thing, my one key takeaway from this book. So on to segment one, the author is John Martin Hull. He was born in 1935 in Coriung, Australia, studied at Cambridge in England, and was a professor of religious education at the University of Birmingham in the United Kingdom. He passed away just a few years ago in 2015, and something interesting is that he became blind mid-career. So he became blind in his 30s. So he, he experienced uh, uh, almost half of his life with sight and then the remainder without sight in complete darkness. So it gives this book an interesting perspective in, in that. He, he wasn't born blind and that's all he knows. Uh, he he had sight he could see and then it was a, a, a long progression into, into absolute darkness. This book was suggested by Ed Cook in episodes 52 and 53 of the Tim Ferriss Show podcast. And I started this project in 2017, this reading project, and I got all of my book ideas from Tools of Titans, uh, hence the name Books of Titans. And that book just compiled a a number of podcast episodes from Tim Ferriss. And, And one of the questions he would always ask is, what is the book that you have either gifted the most or that you've liked the most? And this was one of the books from Ed Cook's uh, response in, in that podcast episode. I'll link to that podcast in the, in the uh, show notes if, if you want to check that out. It's from 2014. I read this book from November 7th through the 14th in 2017. It's a 248-page book. At least the hardcover version that I read from was. And uh, the structure of the book is that it's a series of journal entries And and that's actually really interesting. Uh, As John was entering blindness, he he started reading a number of books by different blind authors. And he said a lot of them just followed a story arc. And he wanted to do something different because, well, this this is how he put it. He said it, uh, meaning this book, has no particular ending. And that's because blindness has no ending. Uh, there's a number of recurring themes throughout the book and i'll I'll get into some of these in segment two but but here are some that that uh, John the author himself identifies in the in the introduction the relationship between between dreaming and waking the nature of consciousness changing perception of nature transformation and understanding of what a person is and the problem of making sense of such a terrible loss the title of the book also, is identified in the introduction and i'm going to read the this paragraph touching the rock does not describe these years he's he's talking about uh, 1980 to 1983 but it does deal instead with the years 1983 to 1986. in 1983 the last light sensations faded and the dark discs had finally overwhelmed me i had fought them bravely as it seemed to me for 36 years but all to no avail it was then I began to sink into the deep ocean and finally learned how to touch the rock on the far side of despair. My initial reaction to this book, I, I thought it was very interesting and it, it was very practical in, in the sense of what types of things change when you go blind, when you go from having sight to, to, to being in complete darkness. So just kind of a practical understanding of, of, of what that entails also a relational understanding. Um, how, how do things change between people? How do how does it change when you're meeting people? Uh, but then also the flip side, how, how can you, someone uh, who can see, how can you relate to someone who is blind? How can you best help someone who's blind? Or do they even need your help? And then an, another component is the spiritual component. And he goes into a lot of of that of how do you make sense of this sort of a, a tragedy as for who should read the book? Uh, I guess if you're curious to know what it, what it looks like to be blind, but then also I guess to see how much you take your vision for granted. I mean, even just consider the, the sentence I just said, uh, if you're curious to look into how much you take vision for granted, look, I mean, the, we, we, we talk about visual imagery all the, all the time. I see what you mean. A, a lot of our language is, is based on, on this and, and based on, on sight. And John identifies a lot of that. And, and I guess just to, to have a different perspective, to see what it's like for a blind person is, if you're, if you're interested in, in, in seeing what that would be like uh, or understanding what that would be like, uh, this would be a good book for you. If this is your first time listening to the podcast, welcome. Thanks for checking it out. I started the Books of Titans project because I needed help picking out the best books. I found out what some of the world's top performers were reading, like Ed Cook, and I started reading those books to the tune of 52 per year or one a week. I set my reading list a year in advance and then I share it online. That creates accountability and a connection with others who are reading the same books. I want you to experience the benefits of having a yearly reading list. To that end, the Books of Titans website is stocked full of resources to help you find the best books. I've also opened up the website to where you can begin sharing your reading list. This will allow you to share it with others, write reviews, and rate each book. I have three different plans, with the first one starting at just $9 per month. Your books will be placed in a visually stunning format that you can share on social platforms. Just go to BooksofTitans.com forward slash my books for more details. Now back to the book. First thing I want to highlight here are just things that I learned, and some of them are, are, are embarrassing because I, I well I'll start with the first one. This this is probably the most embarrassing. Blind people dream in vivid color, and the author described this as uh, one of his escapes. When, once he became blind, he he would still be able to, to dream these elaborate dreams, and and they would all be all be in color, and he would he would he would be able to see everything. And I don't, I don't ever recall consciously thinking about it, but I, I, I guess I just assumed that if if someone was blind, they would also not be able to see in their dreams. And again, it's kind of embarrassing when when I when I really do consider it. Uh, but yeah, they they dream in vivid color, and, and dreams play a big part in this book because it, it's like. John's subconscious is, is trying to make sense of everything that's happening in his life. And so he has these, these dreams that kind of take what's happening in his life with blindness and, and puts it into these elaborate stories. And so that, that was a, a interesting part of the book. And then uh, just a, I guess, duh kind of moment of, yes, blind people can can dream and, and they can see the dreams. Uh, second thing, it takes a blind person longer to get to know someone and this was interesting in, in the sense, I, I always, I guess, think back to, to movies where if, if there's a blind person in the, in the movie, people are always going up to that person and saying, hey, just touch my face so you can you can see, you can feel what my face feels like. And, and John, in this book, he says that that's not really helpful because so much of human interaction is in the eyes and you're looking at eyes, you're seeing, you're seeing if someone's engage with you through their eyes through their through their their body language but but really mostly from their eyes and so if you're in complete darkness all you can really gather is is if the voice is coming directly at you and and you can i guess kind of understand if 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 the person is looking at you in 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 that sense and that the voice has a different timber if if they're slightly turned or if if they're speaking directly to you and another interesting part in this book is when he would talk about, uh, this, this progression of, of going into blindness, there were, there were periods where he would have sight and then he would be blind and then have sight again and then be blind. And then until it finally was just pure, pure darkness. But, but what was interesting is, is when in those periods where he was temporarily blind he would hear nurses and people around him talking, and he would he would get this picture in his head of what that person would look like. And he said, <laughs> once the sight came back, he was just so wrong about what the faces looked like. And so this vision that he had in his, his head of, of what they looked like, once once he did have his vision back for, for a, a temporary t- period, he, he was just way off. And I thought that was interesting, but I, I guess it just really brings back or, or, or highlights that point of how important seeing a face is to, to, to getting to know someone. So his identifying that it, that it does take longer to get to know somebody once, once you are blind. Uh, this, this was interesting, something I learned that wide open spaces are all, often the most difficult to navigate for a, for a blind person. And he says the reason for that is that there are no orienting signals. So for John, going down a set of stairs is actually a lot easier than than being in a wide open space because there's nothing, there's nothing to grab onto. Um, the losing your sight, you, you begin to use your your hearing much more, and so you're you're trying to hear how sound bounces off things, so you you, you know that you're close to a a telephone pole or something like that by or a building by how sound bounces off that. But in a wide open space, you you can't, you, you don't have that orienting signal. So that was interesting. And then he also talked about blind people seeing with their fingers. So just that sense of of touch and, and obviously with the title of the book, Touching, Touching the Rock. Final thing that uh, was something that I learned in this book was how he described direction and positioning. And here he goes, When a uh, so I'm quoting here, when a sighted person is lost, what matters to him or her is not where he is, but where he is going. The blind person lost has neither direction nor position. This is such a profound lostness that most sighted people find it difficult to imagine. Uh, I'm, I'm really skipping around here, but uh, when, when he is told that the building... Uh, Speaking of, of a sighted person now, when he's told that the building he is looking for lies in a certain direction, he is no longer lost. A sighted person is lost in the sense that he does not know where the building he is is looking for. He is never lost with respect to what street he is actually on because he can just look at the street sign on the corner of the block. It is the direction he has lost rather than the position, but the blind person has lost both of those, both direction and position. So those are just a few things that I, that I learned. Um, there's a, a, a ton of things like that in this book. And, and so it, it's really helpful in, in that sense uh, as well, just kind of understanding what, what it's like for a blind person. And um, I, I guess it just kind of dispels a lot of myths and, and things you probably just never even considered but, but are, are good to know. Now I want to get into three different themes that I saw in this book and are, that are themes that I've seen in a number of uh, Books of Titans books. So the first one is time and how this usually comes up in, in a lot of the other books is, is the importance of time and how it came up in this book is how time is different for a blind person. And, and so I'm going to skip around in, um, this starts on page 78 in, in a section called Less Space, More Time. And this is a journal entry from April 17th, 1984. Michael tells it, this is a friend. Michael tells me that he thinks my perception of time has undergone a change since I lost my sight. He thinks that of all the people in the faculty, I am the only one who always seems to have plenty of time. And skipping ahead, Michael suggests two different reasons for that. Partly uh, because there's nothing that there's a sense in which other people are not dependent upon my time. Again, this is John speaking. Now, people are not dependent upon my time, so I, d- I don't need to leave the office at five p.m. to get home so that my wife can use the car. The second thing is that uh, when John needs to know the time, uh, again, this is nineteen eighty four. He he has a, a clock that he can just tap, and then it'll it'll read out the time. And so he says, "This is an abstract measure of time. It." It is a fact spoken by a synthetic voice. I do not perceive the rise and the decline of a day. So these things are, are impacting his, his idea of time. For me as a blind person, time is simply the medium of my activities. He's not in a hurry. Uh, what, he tries, what he tries to do is just get through a full task. So if, 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 it, if it's a series of tasks that he has to do to, to complete an overall task... He just goes through those in order and gets them done. Whereas the sighted person may get, may get uh, distracted and, and go after something else. He's just kind of at peace knowing that he's got to do these things, does them in order, and, and goes on. He also says that for him, walking has to be around the same speed every time. So when he, when he walks from one place to another, so say from his work to his home, in the book, he says he knows that takes 22 minutes. It can't take 30 or that will disorient him. It can't take 15 because he'd be running and then all the cues that he that he has along the way, uh, it, it would just be too fast. So it was just a really interesting th- way of, of thinking of time uh, in, in space and that, there's something that, that stuck out to me because time is such an important thing. And, and so perhaps we as sighted people reading this book can, can think of, of what it's like for a blind person and, and maybe take some of those concepts of time into our, into our own lives. The, the next thing that uh, was stuck out to me was, was happiness and and this the way he described it is exactly how it comes up in another books in, in other books so here's uh, here's what he said the most important thing in life is not happiness but meaning happiness is the product of chains of accident which tend towards our well-being blindness does not make me happy i did not choose it nor was it inflicted upon me nevertheless as an accidental event it could become meaningful and so he makes that distinction between happiness and meaningness, and this obviously comes up in a tremendous way in in Man's Search for Meaning by Frankl, which has been my all time favorite of of the 116 books I've read so far for this project. But here's John John Hull saying the same thing in in a, in a few sentences, and, I, and and this has come up in a number of different books, but I, I don't recall ever hearing this much before i read these books i i i I always remember hearing about happiness and and pursuing happiness and and you know your parents always want you to be happy people always give you the, the advice to do what do what makes you happy but does that really lead to happiness is that what you should be seeking after first should that be the first thing you're seeking after or should be should meaning be the first thing that you're seeking after because what happens when you if you become blind uh, are you going to necessarily be happy in that? But what if you can gather meaning out of that and that leads to happiness? What if happiness is a byproduct instead of the thing that, that you're searching? Again, just an idea that, that comes across in a lot of these books. And when I see it in a lot of places, I know that it's an important thing and something that, that I, I need to be considering. The last thing I want to highlight that, that comes across a lot in this book is, is faith. And in the introduction of the book, he identifies that he's going through a crisis of faith. So the question I immediately had is, is okay, I know this book is about him progressing into or, or degressing in, into a state of, of complete darkness. What is that going to do for his faith? If he's already going through a crisis of faith before he's blind, is this going to lead him further down that path? Or is, is he going to regain his faith? And so it's, it's, it's a neat book in that sense in, in that uh, that you do see him grappling with this throughout the book and um, that, that he just comes to a number of, of neat conclusions. So I'm going to read through a, a few of these. So page 164. This means that while I cannot simply accept blindness, I must not reject it either. I must integrate it. I must try to relate blindness to sight, consciousness to unconsciousness, God to the devil, the life of humanity to the cosmos, the power of creation to the power of destruction. The Stoic courageously tolerates these antitheses, but the one whose Christian faith is in search of understanding must seek to go beyond these differences and to unite them. I thought that was is really neat. In the same section that he's talking about uh, happiness versus meaning, he says this, Faith is a creative act. It is through faith that we transform the accidental events of our lives into the signs of our destiny. It's really good. And then uh, this is in a conversation he's having with uh, one of his his children and and, uh, his son. His son's name is, is Thomas, and here starts the quote. I think that Thomas needs time as I do, to come to God in his own way. The images through which the divine speaks with him are not entirely inappropriate and do have the power to arouse wonder and awe. They are, suitable, they are a suitable form of the holy for a five-year-old boy. Ultimately, however, a theology of power needs to come to grips with a theology of weakness and of the cross. Power is easily easy to visualize. Powerlessness is much more difficult. It takes great strength to have a theology of weakness, but one cannot expect a young child to grasp that. I'm not sure that I grasp it myself. Just a neat, neat section there in, in a theology of weakness. And, and, um, I, I, I would think in, in a lot of what we hear is, is theology of power and, and, um, Getting better or or improving, uh, but but what about a theology of of weakness? And and I like that he that he discussed that. But perhaps my favorite part of the book was where he took a journal entry from February twenty seventh, nineteen eighty four. This is on page starts on page sixty five, and he goes through Psalm one thirty nine. And he says that, um, well, here here's what he says. I feel certain that the author of this psalm was blind. Nobody else could have described so powerfully the religious experience of the blind person or could have interpreted so perfectly the presence of a blind person before God. I just thought that was interesting. I mean I mean I I love reading about how different people experience the Bible when they re- when they when they read it from uh, so he's coming from this this perspective of Having had sight and going into blindness, and reading one Psalm 139, which is attributed to King David, he he thinks that the person had to have been blind who wrote that. and And he goes through it; he goes in depth as to why. And that that was just fascinating. Now, now whether the author was blind or not, to to see that perspective in this this book was was really fascinating. Now on to segment three and the one thing, my one key takeaway from this book. And the nice thing of this having been a book that I read a a few years ago is that there is one thing that I keep remembering from this book. I keep, keep thinking about, and that is that, uh, a lot of people in trying to help John in his life actually harmed him. For example, walking along the street, a blind person either needs to be fully present and fully aware or they need to be led by somebody. There, there's not really uh, in-between ground, because if they're fully present, they're listening to everything. They're hearing sounds bounce off everything. In fact, uh, he he mentioned when it when it rains, that's like the perfect situation for a blind person. He said he wished it would rain like inside buildings, because you can hear how rain falls on different things, and it's going to make a different sound if the Ground is elevated even slightly. Uh, you're going to know if there's a building next to you. It just, rain kind of amplifies everything. And so he, he, if he's fully present when he's walking on the street, he's fine. But if somebody comes up to him and starts talking to him in in trying to help, like, hey, can I just walk, I'll, I'll, I'll help you walk across the street uh, and, I, and I'll kind of talk to you the whole way there, that actually messes with his concentration and messes with his ability to be, to be fully present. So he said, people can help if they, if they take his arm and, and help him across the street or, or, you know, if they're going to talk to him, they, they grab his arm and, and walk arm in arm so that, uh, that he doesn't have to be fully present and concentrating, but he, he can, he knows that this person is going to guide him while they're talking. And, and I just thought that was really interesting because my assumption would have been that, that walking next to them uh, and, and helping John across the street would be the best thing to do. And it's not. And there's a lot of those kind of scenarios in this book where what I thought would probably be the best thing to do what, what is not the best thing to do at all. I guess what I gather from this book is if you're at all unsure, just ask if, if you don't know how to help just ask and John would would be quick to tell somebody hey you're talking to me can you just grab my arm and then we can continue this conversation but then I don't have to be fully present with my surroundings I can I can I can devote my concentration to you so that that's my key take away, take away my one thing I'm I was I was very wrong on what I thought would be uh, helpful to somebody who's blind, and I <laughs> was wrong. So just ask. If, if you're unsure how to help somebody, uh, just ask. So to recap, Touching the Rock is a relatively short book, but it's it's an important book. It, it'll help you understand the experience of a blind person and how you can better help help that person. It will also help you to see other things in your life. It's kind of funny, actually, how it can take someone who can't see to get you to see what you have been missing. All right, that's going to do it for this episode. Before I sign off, just a reminder that you can now share your own reading list on the Books of Titans website by going to booksoftitans.com forward slash my books. You can also follow Books of Titans on Instagram or Twitter at Books of Titans. And if you haven't already done so, you can subscribe to this podcast and find all of our past episodes through iTunes, the Android Marketplace, or your podcast manager of choice. If you're enjoying this podcast, please rate it. We'll be back next week with another book. Until then, keep reading, keep learning, and keep listening. I'm out.